Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. So the land had rest for 40 years, but then we see the fateful consequence of their uh, rebellion and their lukewarmness. It says, Then the children of Israel, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. I'm sorry, the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a four-part series in Chapter 6 of the Book of Judges. The 40 years of rest following the defeat of Sisera eventually came to an end. In their prosperity and complacency, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So God brought Israel into bondage through the oppression of the Midianites. This was an example of God's grace and mercy to Israel because the oppression would make them turn back to God. It would have been worse if God had just left them alone. James tells us to count it all joy when we are under trials for our faith. Now let's join Pastor Rob. Uh, Tonight, let's open our Bibles to Judges, Judges chapter 6. Tonight we will be looking at... uh, the fourth period within the book of Judges. If you recall, when we first started this book, I had mentioned that there were seven different periods of time where the children of Israel had uh, judges or rulers that would rule over them, deliverers. And we're looking tonight at the fourth period, and that really spans uh, a couple of chapters, basically chapters 6 through 8, verse 32 specifically, and it's about the life of Gideon. And so this is the fourth period in the book of Judges. And we'll be looking tonight at a couple of different themes. Really, within chapter 6, we can see there's certainly more than one theme. There might even be more than two, I'm sure. But the ones that really the Lord brought out to me during this time was, uh, one of the themes is how, how God can use the most unlikely person. How He can use someone who is fearful, someone who doesn't really understand who God is completely, somebody who is still on their way and maturing in their faith. And that's certainly something that we will look at and we will we will define a little further. And the second theme is certainly the grace and the compassion of God in encouraging our faith. And we will see uh, Gideon at a couple of different times just kind of wavering and not really understanding who God really is. His theology wasn't all together, but God saw a man who he could use at a time when Israel was at its 
one of its worst times. In fact, this whole time of the book of Judges, which really spans a period of uh, some range between 400 to perhaps even 450 years, is really a time of failure for the children of Israel. And if you remember last week when we got together, we looked at chapters 4 and 5, and it was about a heroine named Deborah. And we saw how she delivered, how she really had faith in God, and God used her mightily. And and there was nothing wrong with Deborah's heart. She was a prophetess, she was a, a judge, and people respected her. And God had a hold of her heart, and God was able to use her. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, where were the men? Why wasn't there a man? Now, again, if you recall last week, we talked about the difference between men and women and just our roles, and, and, and those roles are holy. Those roles are God-given, and when we abide by those roles and when we live inside those roles, there's great blessing on our lives, not only for our own families but in our church uh, body and certainly in the world when we accept those um, when we, when we accept those roles. And at this time in Israel history, the men weren't standing up. The men weren't leading the charge. In fact, they were more in retreat in their desperation of their rebellion. And, and at this time, uh, you remember in chapters 4 and 5, Deborah was really the one who, who really the Lord had a hold of. And God will use a woman, there's no doubt, because there's no difference between a man and a woman. Uh, there's no difference. There's not one that's more intelligent than another. There's not one that's more gifted than another. There is really no difference. The difference is just in God's design when He designed man and woman. And so that's really all there is to it. But God, um, I'm, I'm certain if there was a man in Israel who had the faith of Deborah, he would have loved to have chosen him. And he would have still had Deborah continue to pray and maybe even continue to pray and encourage whoever that was. And we find that uh, Barak was uh, an unlikely leader and really uh, was very afraid. And, and God had to use Deborah really to encourage him. And we know that uh, ultimately uh, the two women that really shined out of chapter 4 and 5 were certainly Deborah and uh, J.L., who was uh, a woman who was the one who actually uh, killed Sisera. You remember in the tent that that horrific... Uh, display that we have uh, for us, you know, it's a, it's a really discouraging, very graphic picture of what she did by nailing him to the ground with a tent peg. And so she and Deborah were the heroines of this. And certainly in a smaller scale, certainly uh, Barak and the armies of Israel, uh, they had some part in it too. So now we get into Judges chapter 6, this fourth period and it speaks of the life of Gideon. So let's get right into it. It says, Then the children of Israel, and again, after uh, Deborah and uh, Barak and the armies, after they had rid that area of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, which is a town just north of the uh, Sea of Galilee, and the, the ruins of that are still there today. We saw them when we were in Israel just a few weeks ago. And... So she rid them of, uh, and Barak and the armies, uh, rid them of Jabin and his armies and Sisera and the armies. And it says at the very last verse of chapter 5 that the land had rest for 40 years. So think of that. They've had this, this great victory, and now there's just this time of rest. 40 years, think of it. That's a pretty long time. And during that time, the, the hearts of the people 
were starting to grow dim and starting to grow cold toward the things of the Lord. And all the while, the, the inhabitants of the land that they were supposed to have driven out, remember, and because they didn't, those, those peoples in the, in the land were infiltrating and being more of a, of a witness upon the people of God rather than the people of God being a witness to them. And we know what happens, and it's a familiar thing. So the land had rest for 40 years, but then we see the fateful consequence of their uh, rebellion and their lukewarmness. It says, Then the children of Israel, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. I'm sorry, the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. And I can attest to this, having just been there, as we drove along the Jordan Valley, and as we were in the Jordan Valley and looking up to the right, and to the, especially on the right side, as we were going down Highway 90, going down toward uh, Jerusalem and that area, it's very, it, there's mountains on either side in the Jordan Valley. And as we look up on our right side, we can see hills and, and mountains, and there are holes in those mountains. And I remember a couple years ago uh, when I was in Israel again, we actually went inside some of those caves that are there inside of the mountains. And these are the things, these are the places that the children of Israel have hidden for years. Not only at this time, but even in subsequent uh, times in history where they were running from their enemies. And so notice it says that the Midianites, uh, well, who are the Midianites? We know that it was Abraham after Sarai had died. Uh, that Abraham married again, and he married a woman by the name of Keturah. And it says that the sixth, um, excuse me, uh, the fourth son, that uh, they had six sons by that, of, of their union together, and the fourth son was named Midian. And, uh, and Midian ought to ring a bell in your minds because uh, if you think of Abraham's time period and then you fast forward several hundred years, we see, remember, when Moses was in Egypt, he was schooled in Egypt, and remember, he, there was a time where he killed the Egyptian, and then he fled into the land of Midian, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia. And so he flees to the Midian, and he meets a woman there by the well uh, of water, and we know that it is uh, Jethro's daughters, uh, one of his daughters, he married there. And uh, he tended his father-in-law's flocks there in the desert for 40 years. And God, of course, was preparing him all that time. And then you fast forward then uh, another couple hundred years. And then we see in Numbers chapter 22 through 24, we see Balaam's interview with Balak, the king of Moab. And in Numbers 25, it tells us that there was an account where uh, Balaam had... Um, uh, told the king of Moab, uh, he, he wouldn't pronounce a, a curse upon the children of Israel, but he he gave him a, a uh, he whispered something into his ear in a sense, and and says, if you really want to bring judgment upon the Israelites, they can bring it upon themselves. All you need to do is have the Midianite and the Moab the Moabite girls come in and um, and meet the young men, and nature would take over, and there would be a problem, and that's exactly what had happened. And then uh, fast forward then uh, to Numbers 31, not long after that, 
Moses caused the children of Israel to go up against who? The Midianites. And they slaughtered them in a very big way. And so now, as we get into chapter 6 here, there is definitely a very uh, bad uh, friction between the Midianites and the children of Israel because they've had bloody, bitter battles in the past, not too long ago, you know, maybe uh, 150 or less years. And, and now they are angry at each other and they're wanting to kill each other again. And so, not only the Midianites, but also the Amalekites. And so look what it says in verse 3. It says, So it was, whenever Israel had sown, that the Midianites would come up, and also the Amalekites and the people from the east would come up against them. Now remember, the children of Israel were an agrarian society, so they really depended upon their crops and God's blessing on the crops for their daily sustenance. But now the Midianites, this people group that we were just talking about, who is a descendant from one of Abraham's uh, wives. And we also find out that the Amalekites are also joining them. And remember that the Amalekites, uh, Amalek was the grandson of Esau. And you remember the bitterness between Esau and Jacob. And those two people groups, even to this day, they hate each other. There's, there's always been an animosity between Abraham and I, you know, Abraham's descendants through Jacob and the other descendants through, um, certainly through Keturah and certainly through Esau. We, and so we see that bitterness just continuing. And also the people of the east. These were uh, bands of marauders that were in the desert uh, on, the, on the east side of the Jordan River. They would certainly come over and join the Midianites and the Amalekites to come against together the children of Israel. So it says in verse 4, Then they would encamp against them, and they would destroy their produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. And uh, it's, it's interesting because this is really a result of or, or fulfilled or partially fulfilled prophecy. Because back in Leviticus chapter 26, beginning in uh, verse 14, if we recall, God had told them, the children of Israel, the, the commandments, and, and share with them that if, if they do these things, if they follow these things, then, then they will be blessed. There, there will be blessings physically, tangibly, But he also said in verse 14 of Leviticus chapter 26, he says, notice, but if you do not obey me, now remember, this is several hundred years prior to what we're reading. He says, but if you do not obey me, God says, and you do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I will also do this to you. And here is what God says that he was going to do. And we're going to see it right before our eyes in this chapter. He says, I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever which consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemy shall eat of it. Now certainly this was just one part of the prophecy that's being fulfilled. We know that this prophecy is going to fulfill itself. There's going to be more uh, iterations uh, of that prophecy being fulfilled uh, later on in Israel's future, going all the way through their Babylonian captivity, all the way through to the uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and, and, and still even to this day, you know, they, they're always at odds with their enemies. 
And so we can see this happening in chapter 6 and 7 as we, as we look at it, just that prophecy coming to fruition. So in verse 5 it says, For they would not come up, or for they would come up, I'm sorry, the, the Amalekites, the Midianites, and those from the east, they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So they came to destroy. They came to impoverish the children of Israel, again, because they're bitter enemies. And so it says, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel, they cried out to the Lord. Now remember, we talked about this uh, the last couple of weeks, but notice again, like times before, they, they cried out. But it wasn't out of repentance. They cried out because of their, they were going through a hard time. And maybe you've been in a situation like that where you've cried out. Maybe something has come upon you. Maybe because of your actions, you have sown something. Something is happening as a result of your actions. Something maybe of your disobedience. Maybe it's a sin issue. And you find yourself in the position of, of, of reaping uh, the reward of that or, or reaping the consequence of that. And, and we can relate to it in one of two ways. When we encounter something like that, we can either repent, we can either turn away from those things, or we can uh, cry about it and just wish that we weren't going through the difficult situation. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. In fact, you know, God is so gracious and He's so compassionate, even though He knew that the children of Israel, all they were exhibiting was worldly sorrow. It wasn't a godly sorrow that led to repentance. Remember what we learned from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, where Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, because remember, Paul had already written to them the first letter, 1 Corinthians, and now he comes back to them later and says, I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us and nothing. Notice, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And that's exactly what any kind of, any kind of response to something ill that's happening to us, if we don't respond in repentance, and even if we don't know what it is, the best thing to do is to drop to our knees and say, Lord, have I done anything? Have I done anything to deserve this? Is this just part and parcel for life in a fallen world? Or is this a direct, are, are you allowing something in my life? Or maybe have you orchestrated something in my life to bring me to an end of myself? And, and that's a good thing to, that's a good place to be in because that opens the book in a sense. And now you can, and the Lord may speak to you right there on the spot. It may be a couple days as you're reading the Word, as you're reading an unrelated passage in Scripture, and then all of a sudden the Lord just illuminates a passage and speaks to your heart. And that's how it works. He can speak to your heart. He can, he can minister through His Word. He can whisper into, into that uh, still, small voice in your heart. He can do all of those things. But they didn't do that. They, 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 they continued in their rebellion. Notice verse 7. So it says, And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet. Notice there's no name of who the prophet is. You would think something so great as this, that the man's name would be there, but the Holy Spirit doesn't seem fit to tell us the prophet's name, and, and that's okay. 
He says that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, notice what he says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, again, not his own thoughts, not his own words, but he's there to minister on behalf of God. That's what a prophet does. A prophet is not about what he thinks. He is there as simply as a messenger to say exactly what God has told him to say. So what does he say to them? He says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And of course, he's speaking of Egypt. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And that's exactly what has happened. Because when they came into the land, they drove out the inhabitants, as many of them as they could. They didn't do the job completely. We know that. But God allowed, this is what God told them. I, I've, I've allowed you to do all these things. And also, verse 10, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. You have not obeyed my voice. And boy, that's never a good thing to hear from the Lord when he rebukes us. And he says, you've not obeyed me. You've been rebellion. You've been rebellious. You've, been, you've loved your sin more than you've loved me. Does that ring true to anybody? I know at times it does me. The Lord you know, just reveals things to you. And, and we have a decision to make, right? He says, but you have not obeyed my voice. And whenever a prophet came into town, a prophet's job was unusual because sometimes he brought comfort and encouragement, but more often than not, he brought warning and sometimes impending judgment. And we certainly see that if we just uh, back up a couple of chapters. You remember in chapter 2 of Judges, and this is a time when the angel, uh, the angel rebuked them because they came into the land after their inheritance, uh, but they did not finish the job of rooting out the inhabitants, those Canaanites in the land. Remember what it said there in Judges 2, verses 1 through 3. And let me just read it to you because it's very similar to what we're seeing here that the, that the prophet tells them. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, Now, doesn't this sound familiar? I led you from Egypt and brought you to the land. Now, notice it says, The angel of the Lord. I brought you out, uh, up from Egypt and brought you into the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? And I don't know about you, but when I, if I heard that from the Lord, uh, well, we'd probably be no different than the children of Israel. Uh, initially, it would break our hearts. There'd be a, a time of mourning. But if it's not godly repent, or if it's not godly sorrow, it's just going to pass after our mourning. After we lick our wounds, then we go back to our same old thing. It's like the the dog returning to its vomit again. And isn't that true? You know, God can re rebuke us. We can be convicted of something. And if we don't turn from it, if we truly don't repent of it, our hearts get sorrowful and we afflict ourselves for a couple of days. And then before you know it, we're back to the same thing again. That's not real repentance. That's just worldly sorrow. And we proved it because we didn't repent. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. But there ought to be repentance in the life of a believer. We should be looking and examining everything. And so, as we get into here, let's go on. It says in verse 11 now, it says, Now the angel of the Lord, notice again, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is an Oprah, 
which belonged to Joash the Abbeizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, the angel of the Lord, again, you recall the last time we, a uh, couple of times before, uh, probably two uh, services ago on a Thursday night, we looked at this angel of the Lord, and we won't spend a great deal on this again, but I just want to make you aware of something. Notice in verse 14 of this same chapter, I want you to underline something, because he's speaking here, excuse me, in verse uh, 11. Now look with me up at... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.